shirt flannel in the middle of august just to troll your lifestyle babe he's slim he's the host of the paper cake podcast and this is episode 111 welcome to the show uh papercake.com uh we talk about industry news the books we're reading and we'll do a book club to close out the show in audio form. Um, one of the biggest books of all times. Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee. Hush. So it's Paper Keg, uh, it's a comics podcast, uh, so let's go around the room and introduce the hosts with the most, uh, my favorite host on the show right now, if I can just bring it down to an emotional level, um, his name's Dale, underscore A, and he's a father he takes his time out to do this show, and he's just a dear friend of mine. He falls asleep on the floor of his son's room uh, when he goes to bed. He's just a loving man, and he's an alcoholic. Thanks for being here, Dale underscore A. I have to uh, jam my obese arm in between the cracks of my son's bed because... He insists on holding my hand to fall asleep. I'm stuck in an infinite circle of pain and sleeping on my son's uh, floor until my wife comes to get me in the middle of the night. How about uh, Jonesy looking like uh, my best friend is a vampire (laughs) over there? Uh, He's he's getting cans of pig's blood from the butcher. (laughs) Just to resist from probably chewing up his family <laughs> right now. Jonesy Widow's Peak and all. beer. You look great. Um, peak human does. condition. <laughs> doctor, doctor, you're, somehow your doctor says you're peak physical condition. Uh, you've never felt better. And to come back to your original point about me wearing this flannel, I'm also not wearing pants. There is never the last five episodes. I've gone totally pantsless, but you can't tell. Jonesy loves beer. You're a writer. You're a, you're a alleged. father, uh, alleged writer. We've never seen proof, but Amazon fanfics. Your profits are through the roof. Um, welcome to the show. Uh, you're a dear friend of me, but the least favorite host in show history. Thanks for being back. Thank you, and I just want to thank all the people who don't vote for me. And just keep me in that bottom rung. It really means a lot. Yeah. To help out with that fact, uh, Jonesy is uh, the reason why we're late this evening. He had, I don't know, stayed late at some union meeting or whatever. But, yeah, we're waiting for him to log in. I was falling asleep. 
looking Don't for let news. Jim Lynn troll you into having Uh-oh. to answer for what time we start this show. Dale. 30 seconds in, Jonesy is, is going on the defensive. <laughs> Immediately. smash this laptop right now. <laughs> Refer- referencing one person on Twitter that may nobody else <laughs> know of until now. Fourth wall. The sounds of thousands of clicks on Instacast just deleting <laughs> the app and our podcast forever. But But seriously, thanks for joining us. We'll we'll talk about some news if there's any available. We'll talk about the books we read and then hush. We might just zip right into mm. hush. Um, I mean, it could be a love fest. It could be a hate fest. Who knows? But I will say that Dale has the hardcover on his lap, and who knows where that hardcover has been? Probably on his lap. I just want to. I I want to. I'd I'd start playing this hardcover like a like a mouth harp like. <laughs> Uh, Blues Traveler right now. Um, did we have any news this week, or do we want to... You know, Barcade was last week. The, the, the PK Meetup. Hashtag PK Meetup, too. I, I'll tell you, that's what probably the best, biggest news in Paper Keg's, you know, sphere. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, this is outside of San Diego Comic-Con like two weekends ago. Nothing. No news. Chew, maybe getting turned into an animated movie. You know, but... The Paper Keg 3 went to Barcade in Philadelphia and some good friends of the show came out and joined us in all kinds of revelry. Jonesy, what was your favorite moment from hanging out at Barcade with uh, friends of the show? I can't pick just one. Um, Although I would have to say when I was trying to make a point in the grand crescendo I was sitting next to your wife and smashed a pint glass across that uh, concrete table quite by accident. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't even see that. But some of the best time I had was actually talking to Ag Custom and Proto Lexus about just uh, comics when I was in my uh, holding court, my little corner there in the, uh, in the beer garden <laughs> sure under my spotlight. Uh, you were in your element in that, in that little corner. <laughs> you knew that you were just the life of the party. I think you, of all people, were the life of the party there, Slim. You mm. were intoxicated, like <laughs> to levels I have never seen you before. With your That's little not... runner's body, you got no body mass at all, mm-hmm. so you just see the booze working its I'm, way through your veins. I'm very, very proud of my freakishly thin arms. If there's one thing I'm proud of in 30 years, it's those arms. But they were, I don't think there was any kind of soda pop in those Long Islands that I was being served. Absolutely <laughs> none. They might as well just given me the whatever brand tequila that people like and they just poured that right in the glass that's all there was to it yeah you were uh having I fun wasn't slurring i anything. sobered Bar- barcade was busier this year and once we got in out into the courtyard year there um i didn't feel like going back inside and getting beer because the bar was so mm-hmm. busy so i sobered up fairly quickly out there in the last two or two and a half hours of our night but uh Talking to everyone, Brad and yeah, Catcher, Canadians from My Canada, traveled southward to Philadelphia. We thank those guys for coming out. We thank everybody for coming out. We had a we had a blast. I'm going to be honest with you right now. Slim doing a, a live theatrical reading of the oh here we go single tweet <laughs> from at Inherited Comic. If you want to check that out, check out Dale underscore A's One vine. of the greatest vines I've ever been a part of, hands uh, down. Definitely, oh, yeah. It was, it was I heard epic. those guys could be just days away from a 
huge announcement. It was a fantastic evening. Um, thanks everybody for coming out. It was a lot of fun, and hopefully, you know, maybe this show will last another fifty episodes, fifty-two episodes. Maybe we'll do another one. Who knows? Only Who time knows? will tell. So no news. Chew. What's the story with news? What's happening? Should we just get into the comics, Poo. and so we can zip through to hush? Oh, let's do I it. I apologize to the uh, to the to the listeners whose news feg- <laughs> segment is the favorite part of the show, which I'm sure there are many of you. There is absolutely zero news worth mm-hmm. talking about. You're the Dan Rather of news. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're aware, Dan. I mean, I'm getting nothing done uh, over here. Let's let's just jump right into the comic talk, please. God in heaven, let's just do it. Let's let's, let's um, do it. I'll start us off. Let me first of all. Let me see what the heck I read this week. That usually means that Slim only read two, one or two comics. So I want to get week. it out of the way before anyone first. else ganks it from me. Um, let's let's just get into uh, a dear friend of mine, Tom Strong. Chris Sprouse. You read that? Tom wow. Strong and the Planet of Peril. Peril, uh, if you want to get fancy. Do you remember the Tom Strong comics back in the day? You guys, Jonesy, did you ever read those? No, I actually have no idea what you're talking Tom Strong, I don't know. Wow. Um, Tom Strong from the old Top Ten line, Alan Moore. He um, He had like his own imprint. I'm super hazy in the details, but... He had his own imprint, I think, under Wildstorm. So he kind of could do his own universe. And he just had his own toys to play with. And 1999, I believe. So Tom Strong was a scientist's son. And he, the, scienti- the scientist uh, took him to this island and put him in this kind of underground tank and did tests and... By the, by the time he grew to adulthood, he would be, have, like, super strength, and he was, like, a brilliant man. So it's like Superman, but without flight, and he settled down quickly and, and started his own family and lived in the jungle. So, like, a mixture of Tarzan, Superman, Tesla, like, Atomic Robo all mixed into one with Chris Sprouse art. Um, so this is the first miniseries that I can think of since that series ended, and it's not Alan Moore, it's a different writer, but it takes place with uh, Tom Strong's daughter giving birth, and she's, the father is, from what I can tell, because I drifted off at the end of the original series, is a superhero, but and he can, like, turn into molten lava. So the kid apparently has gotten some of these powers, and the kid is, like, freaking out and warming up uh, the mother. So they have to, like, gas her because she's nearing childbirth and they don't want to risk anything. So they gas her in kind of like the stasis mode and they need to figure out how they're going to deliver this baby without damaging his daughter. And he remembers that he once met another man, Tom Strange, who lived on a planet which was like the mirror image of Tom Strong's planet. And this guy took an elixir that made him invincible for a while. So they need to go to that planet. And the thing about that planet is they have they have a lot of superheroes on this planet as a, a, opposed to Tom Strong's, like, like scientists and athletes that are like, you know, superheroes. And they need to bring comic books with them. So it turns out that this planet, the things that happen on this planet happen in comic mm-hmm. books in Tom Strong's world. Whoa. And he, he thinks... 
that wow. there's some kind of quantum physic telepathy that sends what happens on this planet to Tom Strong's planet's comic book writers, and they then create these writers. So it's like we have to bring these comics to see what's been happening on this planet. And they get to this planet, like the series ended. The, all these comic books, this Terra, I want to I say it was called Terra Nova or Terra Culta, this planet the whole line of comic books ended for some reason. And they make kind of in-jokes like, I guess super superhero comics just weren't in fashion anymore. So the series Animal ends War, and his right? wife thinks it's like ominous. Like, what the heck happened on that planet? Maybe something happened. So they get to the planet and it's radio silence and they flip on a radio switch and they're talking about martial law and that's how the first issue ends. Wow. I mean, I love... Tom Strong is... You can just sit back and just read great, fun... I mean, it's like Atomic Robo and all those characters I mentioned mixed into one with just mm. fantastic one-off stories. I think we need to do that for a yeah, book I'm club. Being, I'm being oh, seduced by Tom Strong right now. Yeah, I think big friend of the show, David Finn, Red Lantern on the Twitter, mm-hmm. recommended Tom Strong when we were holding our contest. Yeah, yeah, I really wanted to do Tom Strong, too. And in in that universe too, I mean, they make in jokes like this, this. The first issue, I think I talked about on the show. The first issue starts with this little kid who loves Tom Strong, and he reads a Tom Strong comic in the first issue, and he's so enthralled in the first issue of Tom Strong that he's reading that he doesn't notice that Tom Strong is around him fighting crime, like on his like trolley car and stuff. It's really awesome, well, like really fantastic Alan Moore stuff, and there's mm-hmm. no hard Ring to be found. Uh, so that's a plus. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my word, Jonesy. Uh, so speaking dark. of dark, loves beer. What did you read this week? I want to take this back, uh, not into the archives, but a title that we've been They're, kind of anyway. overlooking. Yes. I mean, we've talked about it off and on, but uh, just Jason Aaron's Thor: God of Thunder this week, uh, issue number ten, uh, the God Bomb Saga. Is uh, I think this is the penultimate issue before this particular arc comes to a close. So this is the smackdown, as it were. All three tours, uh, tours and Thors, from the separate timelines come together to fight uh, the God Killer. And um, it's just great to see Jason Aaron. He's done telling his story. And now it's just the fun Viking-inspired fight. I mean, there's awesome panels of just... Young Thor throwing his axe that the um, King Thor, the oldest Thor, and the Avenger, like, flying through the air. There's a a crazy, awesome panel where the Avenger Thor gets both Mjolnirs and dual wields them. Oh. Just, like, motors oh, through uh, the enemy. And then, uh, believe it or not, big cliffhanger. We don't know yet <laughs> if the God Bomb really, truly went off. We're going to find out. Next step, uh, next issue. Uh, Man, this is just a fun. Like if you're reading, this is just a fun popcorn payoff book, and uh, would delight to read. Is this Ribic or is it Garney yet? Uh, hang on, I'll let you know. Is it's it Ribic. Okay. Is Garney supposed to do it after Ribic? Garney Ribic? picks up after Ribic. Hmm. I, w- I was actually just going to comment that it's unbelievable that Ribic. It just seems he, like yeah, I think he only Ribic's skipped been on one issue. I think he skipped the origin of the God Killer. Yeah, yeah, but I, I was, yeah, I was just gonna say that it seems it's amazing that 
he has been on it for as long as he did. And the, the colorist, whoever colors Isat Ribic, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Thor is like, I never had, I always wanted to love Thor, but I never could until this run. Mm-hmm. Man, Jason Aaron, I want to shake your hand, my friend. Just knocking out of the park. When, when there's three Thor tours, <laughs> are, uh, are like banding together. Oh my God, the old... The old experienced Thor's like you know he's he's, he's uh, steady. He puts young buck young buck Thor mm-hmm. in his place. I it just I love the uh, the combination. I love the interaction between them and the God Killers. Like really compelling. He's a really compelling character. Yeah, he's a, a villain you f- you think that could really finally end Thor. I mean, kind of, I think mm-hmm. with Thor in general, and uh, you know he's just so overpowered. That you think that there's not really anything out there that's going to be able to take him out, so to have this one character who's basically his whole career is killing mm-hmm. gods, it, it's a uh, it's it's very different. And the I don't know if you read this issue, but the twist I'm one behind uh, the twist of the the character God Killer itself is pretty pretty deep. Hmm. It's good stuff. Thor Love issue it. ten, pick it up. Is is God Killer in alternate universe Thor? Did I just oh no 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 no! Oh, Actually, yeah, yeah 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 my yeah, brain yeah, <laughs> my brain my brain. No, he is Tor. That's how I did that whole Freudian mix-up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's Tor. He from is it. Earth. He is the uh, the other universes, the Ultimate Universes. Jan Jurgens <laughs> could be the greatest uh, podcast callback in history. See if, if Protolexis can catch up for 500 episodes and see what episode yeah. you first started talking about Dan Jurgens. I'm telling you, his oh, run man. on God's on Earth. Uh, golden embargo, Jonesy. Golden embargo. <laughs> What about what about you, Dale? What what are you reading right now? And is it anthropomorphic? Please tell us. It is not anthropomorphic. You could say it's somnipromorphic. Somnipromorphic. I am reading a little something called Capote in Kansas mm. Mm. Uh, from two thousand six. Mm. Uh. Andre Parks and one Chris Somney uh, write a drawn novel, and it is a fictionalized account of Truman Capote when he travels to Kansas to write his novel *In Cold Blood*. Mm. And it's a black and white ish. It's a black and white. Story. So let me get that out there. If you follow Chris Somney's Twitter and you see his uh, inks, so he'll say, like, this is my favorite thing I've inked today, mm-hmm. and it's just black and white. This is all that, and it's all real real people. It's not superheroes, so it's all his architecture and his buildings and just, you know, Truman Capote and friends. Mm-hmm. And it's about Truman Capote being... Um, not fitting into Kansas. He's from New York. He's flamboyant, you know. He's uh he thinks less of the people in Kansas and in in the book during in cold blood, uh it it's based on a a family that was murdered in their house. So he is tra- he's going to go to Kansas and kind of get into the minds of the town 
and possibly talk to the ki- the the alleged killers and kind of like spend time just absorbing everything so he can write this novel. And this telling is him trying to fit in Kansas. And it's a really it's a really great story. I'm about three quarters of the way through now. I didn't finish it, admittedly. But it's it, fictionalized or not, it's just, you know, it could be about Capote. It could be about a guy named Jan Jurgens <laughs> who's writing a novel about, you know, a murder in Kansas. It's really well done. Well, now this is, and, this is 2006, so how do you uh, compare the, the how do somni I? art? That's like my, that would be my oh. main thing. Like, I would probably think about that the whole time I'm reading it. It's. Would you compare it to Hush, Jim Lee versus JLA, Jim Lee, or vice versa? I don't, I don't know how to describe it. I can describe it as the lines being a little cleaner. Um, and I don't know if that makes complete sense, but. Where, you know, you look at Daredevil now and there's kind of like thick black lines outlining all of his work. And they not necessarily might not be thick, but compared to this, you know, his use of like thinner lines to outline people's face. And maybe that's because he was just going with, um, you know, he's drawing just regular people mm-hmm. in regular clothes. But it's... It it doesn't it doesn't stray much, it doesn't differ much between the two, you know, between now and then. Hmm. Um, but it's really something to see. Um, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I, and I, I saw it. Um, I paged through when it first dropped, and I mean, I don't think I've ever. I don't think I ever have a Somni book in print. As crazy mm-hmm. as that sounds. Oh no, no, I have this free comic book day. Um, Captain America, Thor. Well, thanks to a huge friend of the show, Ad Custom, on the Twitter. He met Chris Somney in San Diego and got this puppy autographed for me from Chris Somney. Hardcover. I mean, you put... It's like a red shoe diary of words (laughs) coming out of my mouth. Somney, hardcover, (laughs) to me. Silver Sharpie. I mean, that the sketch is crazy for a Sharpie. Blows the mind what he can yeah, pull off with it? a little Sharpie action. That looks like it could take someone 20 years to master. And that's just some guy in glasses. It's Matt Murdock. It could yeah, be Matt Murdock for all we know, but it's probably Capote. It probably is. Or Philip Seymour Hoffman as <laughs> Capote. Uh, lightning round. Two sentences or less. Read this book, guys. Um, a book that you read... La Strangers in Paradise Volume 2 In Unwavering Journey in Storytelling from Terry Moore that I want more of constantly Lightning question Lightning question Batman Incorporated issue 13 Grant Morrison's iconic run with the Dark Knight ends not with a bang, but with a whimper. Oh, my. My, my. Captain Midnight, number one. 
America's war hero disappears after the war, only to reemerge just a few days ago from the Bermuda Triangle. Why is he here? And can we trust him? Hush, Batman, Jeff Loeb, and Jim Lee weave a tale that I just saw in my long box last night going through uh, some comic books. There you go. Jonesy, please. Please, Jonesy, tell us about this book. Imagine a young man just getting back into single-issue comic books, discovering that the month he returns, the most iconic run of Batman with Jim Lee on art is beginning. And from that moment, he is able to collect all 12 single issues of this run and the Wizard magazine that contained the cave interlude, making it 12 and a half total issues that he has sealed in his long box. And imagine this story is about Batman having to face his greatest foes, a new enemy that can manipulate all of them, or is he an old enemy? And (laughs) the best Batman art to ever grace the page, I don't care what anyone says, the Jim Lee art is the Batman art of our generation. <clears throat> With, I think, only Tim Sale being a close second. And it's just a story of Batman transforming from this gruff. He's had a hard time. He's closed off from everyone. He's facing his biggest challenge. And at the same time, learning to love, to soften up, and to trust his allies once again, all while facing the villainous hush. I mean, the, let's just cut right to brass tacks right now. Jim Lee's art in this book is astonishing. Yeah. Like, it's so clean, and there's not, like, there's the lines that he kind of does today are not there. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Please, God, help me, Jesus. <laughs> the... <laughs> Love the song so much. I mean, there's just... It's so clean. So clean. And and this, like... I don't know what he... I can't remember what he was doing before this in terms of DC Wildstorm. But his trajectory literally shot through all executive pants straight to the ceiling. This set, <laughs> this set the art era for Batman for the next decade easily like this was bat. this is DC's Batman going forward for the next decade it would the absolutely the art just from the series was so in the public consciousness that I think that every Batman birthday plate or um you know, any kind of Batman kitschy merchandise, like cards, like greeting cards, thank you cards, Christmas cards, anything that was just third-party Batman stuff, threw out whatever they had, and this became the art. 
Like this became the mass marketing of Batman after this run. There's so many splash pages that are like wall worthy. So many splash pages, so many like half page splashes from Batman. And you can kind of see his style change from the first quarter or in, or half into the rest of the book with how he draws Batman. Mm-hmm. But there are just so many iconic pages. Like I I still couldn't get over it like reading. Like even seeing him draw Lois in the Daily Planet that f- like a three-quarter page view gorgeous yeah. like stunning art that i don't know his his art i don't know wh- what has changed but it's just a natural progression of his art but like some of the character faces were so clean and so pure that i they didn't look like jim lee faces to me like it was an it was like another artist like coming from x-men uh, to hush I think this was the run that Jim Lee was waiting for to really show off. Because, I mean, his art was very, I mean, I I mean, I don't want to call it serviceable and, you know, call that downplaying on Jim Lee because his art on X-Men was, you know, was the X-Men for a lot of us in the 90s. Uh, Especially it it influenced the TV show so much or the animated show, I should say. And, uh, but this clean, like, honest art like this might be his peak. Like he might never achieve the level he did in this uh these 12 and a half issues. And how about Jeff Loeb just weaving one of the best real mystery stories that we haven't had and probably haven't had before this in a long time. I think the comics world in general just really didn't know who Hush was. Remember like can you remember like even us talking to each other? about who we thought it was. Yeah, I remember reading it, and looking back, it's, like, obvious. Like, why would they devote all those flashbacks to Tommy Elliott for no reason? But when we were reading that, we still had no idea if if they were still going to make it Tommy Elliott or Mm Two-Face or whoever. And month to month, the red herrings were... If you read it in one sitting, of course you're going to know. You're like, oh, it's definitely this Tommy Elliott guy. But month to month, the red herrings, like... uh, the Two Face getting his face back. The um, joke, yeah, Joker, Joker possibly shooting, shooting Tommy allegedly shooting. So you know, you think he's dead. You think that was a red herring. Then the Jason Todd quote unquote resurrection was another red herring. Oh, yeah. Oh, so man. so holy crap that that set. I I, I want to. I feel like that set the world on fire. When Jason Todd came back, that, the last couple pages of that one issue. I think this could have been, if they had kept it as Jason Todd, I think I would regard this this storyline higher. Like, if it had actually really? been Jason Todd, I would have loved that. Because when I remember first reading that, I, like, pooped in my pants when it was revealed <laughs> to be Jason Todd or Clayface as Jason Todd at the end of that first issue. One of the greatest reveals I've ever seen in comics history, period. Mm-hmm. And then when it was revealed to not be Jason Todd, I was like, oh, man. Like, the, bringing Jason Todd's corpse into Lazarus Pit uh, to revive him. Like, oh, man, what a great revenge story. To And have, have him come back and be Batman. Even if Jason Todd wasn't the main villain and it was still Riddler. That changes yeah. the status Spoilers. quo of Batman's universe <laughs> forever. <laughs> and And there was a lot of status quo changes, like, Harvey T- Harvey Dent coming back, he revealed his identity to Catwoman. Um, 
and for whatever reason, I I just love Leslie Tompkins. I love her character in uh, the Batman universe, and I don't remember her ever really being in the Batman universe when I was reading when I was younger. I'm I'm sure she showed up in like 80s issues or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we even remember her best from the animated show. Yeah. And the Harold stuff like shocked me too. Like that was kind of like a curveball that came out of nowhere. But I'm I'm drifting all over the place here. Yeah. Well, I the first couple panels when Batman, you think Batman's talking to Hush. He's like, you know, where'd you get that trench coat or or something? He's like, how'd you find out? And it turned out to be Harold. It was just like, whoa, that was set up so perfectly. And that was the era. And, yeah, that was the era where I really first started reading Batman. Was is in the nineties with Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle Batman, where Tim Drake mm-hmm. first started being Robin, and Harold was in a lot of those issues. I like Jonesy. It's so funny because I, I felt this energy when I got back into comics too, and it was probably because Jonesy was too at the same. Yeah, we were. Time. I was causing a ripple in the force, and you felt <laughs> it. Uh, th- Thunder was uh, calling out <laughs> the both of us. Lightning was striking twice. You've been kissed by a hurricane. <laughs> and uh, I probably started hitting the comic shop like four months or five months into Hush. And the uh, the shop owner kind of said that, you know, Hush was the big happening. So I went back and I remember I had, I couldn't find 608 or uh, maybe they had, yeah, I couldn't find 608 at the shop for the longest time, and then they released like one of those issues where they had six hundred eight and six hundred nine in the same uh, binding. It was like a you know a bonus. Oh or yeah, how strange was that? I remember that. And it probably sold like hotcakes because six hundred eight was uh, you know sold out probably because of Hush. And man, I just I just jumped right into this book. Like Jim, it was just to see that. B.A., Jim Lee, and Scott Williams, too. Like, he just, like, set the tone for, you know, uh, my love of Batman. I got th- I got three Jim Lees on my wall because of this run. Like, I just, I, I opened up, like, a issue of Wizard shortly after, you know, the run ended. And there was, like, an advertisement for, you know, like... Uh, uh, an art studio or something and it was just basically advertising like look these Jim Lees are coming out real big and pretty for your wall so you might want to call and you know inquire and I and I put on my credit card I don't know what I did at the time <laughs> but I know I needed them I needed the first one and then subsequently got two more but the uh, it's I mean it's just an epic from start to finish you don't I didn't know anything really about Batman before this and Jeff Loeb just perfectly puts you in the mind frame like he through inner monologue he helps Batman help you describe these villains in his rogues gallery in such a way that you don't really need to know anything previous because he tells you everything you need to know even you know a little bit more than you would probably need to know and just the fact that it didn't feel, I don't think it felt forced when he would say, like, you know, this this kind of job is too big for Harley. This is not her, or this isn't like Croc to be, you know, he would have just ate the boy if, he, you know, mm-hmm. you know, if he really wanted. Like, I didn't feel like, I, I, I didn't feel like 
you know, maybe because I didn't know who, you know, who the rogues were or how they would have acted in in more than just one issue in my past, you know, that was good enough for me to say, well, I guess Killer Croc is, you know, meaner than that usually, but he really needed that money. I, uh, I don't think it's fair to talk about single issues in this run because I think that each one offers so much. But I do want to talk about one in particular, and that's 615. Uh, just a refresher, that's the issue where uh, Bruce and uh, Nightwing kind of come together in a cave and they're talking about the case so far, and Bruce is ready to get back into the uh, into the game. <clears throat> and the police scanner crackles and said that the Riggler is on the loose uh, from a bank job. And there's that two-page splash of Jim Lee just drawing the most iconic Batmobiles. From the last, yeah. uh, I don't know, I mean all the way back to the inception of the Batmobile. And it's just in this, like, four-long claw that has, like, four Batmobiles on each talon. And I remember seeing that and just stopping to try to see all the ones I could name. Like, w- what a great Easter egg to just plop in kind of the middle of the story. And then the tail end of the issue is... Uh, you're basically you write the Riggler off as a joke. There's no way he was behind this. Yeah, there the end of that scene is almost kind of the turning point to the second um, arc of this story, and you already negate the fact you think the Riggler is totally written off. You know, you, the bank um, bags are covered with Lazarus pit dust. Mm-hmm. And that's when he goes to confront Ra's al Ghul in that great scene um, where they're sword fighting around the fire. Yeah. But just that that transitional issue, I think, in, in today's comics and being as jaded a, as I think we are in writing for the trade, I think if there was a transitional episode like this, I would be a naysayer. But looking back at it with such nostalgia when I reread this, I love this transitional episode, and I don't know if that's a credit to Jeff Loeb as a storyteller or my mind frame when I first picked the series up or just my love for Batman. I, I don't know what it is, but 615 was a keystone issue in me getting back in the comics, period. Yeah, you talk now, just real quick, lay it out. I mean, you want to talk writing for the trade, this 12-issue mega run was one huge story. I had, I, in the Absolute Edition here, it, it you know, the page ended with, like, a, a complete blank page when the issue ended, but I wouldn't, I don't, I remember reading it in single issues, but I don't know, maybe because I'm kind of used to a resurgence of smaller arcs or and or single issues, peppered in my pool list monthly month now this sucker is trade only i would think how do you mean this sucker is huge and one big story like mm. i was trying to i was trying to figure out if each issue felt even the slightest bit self-contained and i think i stopped caring you know ha- about halfway through and i just got really into reading the story again but like the first four issues was them trying to track down Poison Ivy. Mm. And that that would have been like, I don't know, what's that, four, that's 16 bucks right there of, of uh, you know, of course, you know, Batman and Catwoman start necking oh, at some point, which, which was which was fine with me. <laughs> 
Well, you but, you have that one page blown up on your wall, the one where they're they're mouthing each other. They they are they're expressing emotion. They love mouthy women. mouths. <laughs> I, um, but no, there's no but. I mean, look, that's just a minor criticism. I got the absolute edition now, suckers. So, like this this is a gem. This was perfect. I couldn't stop reading it when I started the other night. Oh yeah. How about a, I think my one of my favorite issues is six fourteen where he essentially just strangles Joker for twenty pages. <laughs> oh yeah, man, yeah. And how about Jim Gordon coming out to I save him from not, himself? I cannot get over Jim Gordon's character in this story. And I think we talked about it ages ago, but I mean he's like here's a guy where his daughter was mm-hmm. paralyzed from the Joker and the killing joke like kind of alludes to doesn't Joker show him photos of like his naked daughter being crippled or like his crippled naked daughter in like one panel I'm I'm pretty sure well regardless I mean his daughter crippled his like girlfriend wife also cop murdered by Joker Um, his life I don't mm-hmm. know how he is still Jim Gordon and you see that in he so Batman is strangling Joker to death in a really violent scene where if they would have added like sound effects of Joker gurgling for like those four panels, oh it would have been like way intense been, and I would have been yeah. really uncomfortable because <laughs> there's like four panels where he's just like strangling Joker and Jim off panel is telling him to stop and he just like keeps at it. And I was like, well, I was like, oh man, they should have added a gurgle here. So Jim and, he d- and Jim Corden. Talks him shots off. At him. Yeah, he like shoots him. He shoots at him. He shoots his like ear off the cow and his shoulder shoulder pad or whatever. And he tells him like this isn't our side of the law. Like don't do anything you'll regret. I can't get over the Jim Gordon character in this book. Like he is a living yeah. legend. I would have just jumped off a bridge yeah. over Jim Gordon at any point in his career. Especially when he himself recaps to Batman as Joker's neck is, like, under Batman's gloves, Jim Gordon, like, mouths these facts. Like, how can he even get past... How can he even speak without choking up that his daughter is now paralyzed because of this man, his wife is dead because of this man, and this man just walks every time he gets out of Arkham, whatever, and he's just like, this is still... You become just like... I like... I would have just like, I would have egged him on, mm-hmm. but that like it was so oh, man, hardcore. Like I was rooting for Batman at the time. Batman, but says how many more lives are we going to let him ruin? Jim right. Gordon, I don't care. I won't let him ruin yours. Oh, <laughs> talking to my heartstrings. And the masterful Jeff Loeb, like <laughs> the whole time, this tense scene is going on. <laughs> And then he like, then he lets Joker speak, and it was just completely laugh out loud, like tension breaker. But it was just so funny at the same time. Like, Joker's like, you think Joker's begging Batman to like stop? He's like, stop, stop, and like oh, he's yeah. getting choked the whole time. And then the last panel, he's like, stop me if you heard this one before. <laughs> <laughs> like, Joker's so teeth great. is missing. Mm-hmm. He's like getting strangled the life out of him. And then the uh, the single lone panel. There's no background. It's just white white panel and joker is like laying dead practically dead <laughs> and he's he's like what did he say i'm still in i did not shoot him right i'm, I'm in got the wrong guy i'm innocent <laughs> yeah uh i don't i don't want to i want to shift gears again and talk about uh 
Jim Lee's art choices, uh, not just his character character models, because they're all kind of classic, but I think that there was a, a feeling or an image in Batman comics before this where Batman had to have the longest possible ears on his cow. <laughs> and I'm talking like Tim Sale, like a foot and a half off the top of his <laughs> yeah. head. Like, I don't know how he ever went through a door in his entire career. But I think good. Jim Lee kind of making this like a battle outfit and the cow almost like a, not a helmet like it was in Batman Begins or, or The Dark Knight, but kind of making a short, stubby, like you could tell he could take, you know, a couple beatings to the head instead of somebody being able to grab his ears and wrangle him around. I thought it was such a a different choice and kind of a fresh take on the mm-hmm. character model. And it's nice to see that this is still kind of going on even now in the new 52. They haven't gotten out of hand with it. Yeah, the time spent on the little details of Batman's suit, like the couple times you see the bottom of Batman's boots, like they're Mm. believably like combat-ready, altering boots, and the treads and the, the laces and and like his little tool belt and like the the belts and the buckles and stuff they're just so hyper detailed you're like uh you're just totally believing the fact that he's you know these things are help helping him protect himself on a nightly basis completely beautiful and i also him having a fractured skull at the end of one issue and then it's just running around the next issue like nothing happened that's that's how he does it that's how he lives his life (laughs) That's gotta hurt, you know. Even when you take a step, if you when you bump your head, you could feel it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he had to have been hurting. I do like that throwaway line where uh, you know they got to take him to the hospital, and uh, Dick Grayson's like, "I'll go wreck the Porsche." Like we've done this like you know forty <laughs> yeah. times. This is no big yeah. deal. Run of the mill setup, you know, just so just so we uh, make it look like Bruce Wayne was up to no good. There was a there was one. I think there was a few Jeff Loeb lines that like really were odd there do you remember when the the first big splash of lois on screen and she's like trying to spell therapist and then oh, she's yeah. like thanks lois or thanks smallville hey look at that if you put a space in therapist you get the rapist that's kind of clever kind of i think that was a throwback to celebrity jeopardy which is hugely relevant back then on snl and remember the, the uh, Sean Connery pressure was uh, like, uh, yeah, it was uh, Burt Reynolds. And, was that uh, was that the same time? Hmm. I want to I want to believe it yeah. was because that's I thought that was referential to that skit because they you know Daryl Hammond was doing his Sean Connery impression. Yeah, yeah we've all saw it, Jones. <laughs> so, okay, no, I'm just kidding. No, I think it's probably like Lois probably thinks low of therapists, I and mean, he probably thinks it's, it's a form of orange. She's got a well documented dislike of therapists, and yeah. that's I'm just the a case. big don't. I, and I, I don't and I don't it. even know that much about Lois, but Jeff Loeb lets me just by her inner monologues and conversation, she is clearly uh, she hates therapists. How, how about the relationship of Catwoman? And Batman, let's get into it. And well, let's talk about real quick of of Lois's flirtations with Bruce Wayne. Oh man, amazing! <laughs> right in front of Clark like that, and and but Lois was like doing it. But I mean, clearly, uh, Clark and her. Doing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I just love. I just love. I just love it. I'm so. <laughs> I'm just so mad that I couldn't. I wanted to take 150,000 screenshots <laughs> so I could talk about it, but I can't do it in this absolute edition. 
And and now let's go to talk about that Catwoman. Let's talk about Catwoman. There was a few things where I like I first, well first I just want to say the Jim Lee this run this set like a high standard for the Batman title for a little while where I was like excited to see who would take over the book after the storyline. And I think it was the Broken City storyline. It was Azarello and Risso. And then, yeah. like, from there, I was like, oh, man, who's going to take over the title next? Where I was, like, super interested to see what creative teams took over. Because this became kind of, like, the prestige book, in my view, for DC. But I don't remember, like, I kind of forgot that he revealed himself to his secret identity to Catwoman. And is that, like, I'm curious, up until New 52, if that stuck. Like, did Catwoman, I don't know if any of us will really know outside of Mark, but... I was wondering if like that stuck and that became a thing. I think, and I'm not 100% sure, and, and you're right, Mark would know. I think New 52, I remember being a point of contention that she knew who he was, then after New 52, she wouldn't know anymore. I think that was a real thing. But put it on my wiki, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I mean, I really love Catwoman as a character. I love Selena Kyle. And I I just, I wanted to start talking about him, but then I remembered the way Jim Lee drew him, and it was just even more amazing. But the, I don't know, the interaction between the two, it was, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge sucker at heart, so to see them kind of not be together at, at the end there, or still there's like that level of untrust, I don't know, I was just hoping they could have went places and and... That's just I'm a huge sap. <laughs> well, you're you're. It's documented that you love superhero dirty talk, especially between Batman and and miscellaneous mouthy females. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> right in front of right in front of Clark. There. <laughs> I just I, I didn't. I mean, Catwoman just looked amazing. Those goggles and classic. Costume. She was she was such a huge part of the story. I, it was, I don't know, it was lovely. It was a lovely team-up. It was like a team-up, really. Mm-hmm. And then the end where he just right back to where he started, alone. Yeah. Can't trust anybody. Mm. Kicks her to the curb. That that was such a great moment, though, where she she says, hush. And Jeff Loeb even makes it ambiguous because he puts the quotey marks around it. And he's like, why would you say that? Right. It's great, great moment. You know, don't you know? Batman's a nut. That's what it comes down to. The guy's a freaking nut. Yeah. yeah. He can't open up his heart. No. You, you don't have that audio queued up for you want to get nuts? I would figure that would have been the most <laughs> I perfect I, moment. I didn't. That would have been the, the most ideal opportunity to ever play that clip, but I'd never ready. He's a nut. I just wanted some more Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. That's all I, that's all I want. <laughs> I mean, when you talk about Batman Hush, and this is like the heyday of exclusivity contracts right mm-hmm. like this is i mean that's the reason why jim lee could probably bang this out and also he wasn't like super co-publisher so he had the time to to do such uh, beautiful magic and then he went on to uh what um he went to do superman, superman. and then he yeah. did all-star garbage. batman and robin garbage <laughs> What a waste of like a year's worth of work for Jim Lee. He could have been doing anything else but that, and he did that all star. Yeah. Oh God, God help us, please. We'll always have hush. I mean, 
Jonesy, did you have any uh, closing thoughts on Batman Hush? Just that, as I sit here and think about it, Jim Lee in general has influenced the three of us in the way we perceive the way our characters should look like. I mean, from Wolverine to Cyclops to his X-Men run, all the way up to Batman and Superman, when I picture in my mind's eye what Batman must look like jumping from rooftop to rooftop, this is the Batman I picture. Even seeing three live-action, wonderful Batman films, this is still my go-to Batman image. And uh, what a wonderful gift to give the comic book reading world uh, the art and story of Batman Hush. I pictured Jonesy in an open street in New York City with with rain beating down on him. I've got a top and coat and a scarf on. In the window is, sits the absolute edition of Batman Hush. <laughs> and he just slowly arches his head back. And takes it's in dark, the but there's a there's this like spotlight in the shop, mm-hmm. right on Absolute Edition. Maybe the rain and clears up and starts transitioning in the snow. You know, that's some pretty mm. wild weather in New York City. I'll tell you what, it is only in New York. Right, there daily. What a soundtrack! Greatest soundtrack of all time. It's the uh, Batman Hush of soundtracks. It really is. I mean. Yeah, I think Jonesy, I'm in complete agreement. I couldn't agree more with it. everything said. There's so much about Batman Hush that's just nostalgia for me. I was just getting back into comics. This was it. Like, this was my pool. I was just in love with Jim Lee at the time. And I think this helped shape Batman for a period of time because of Jim Lee, more than Jeff Loeb, Jim Lee. I was, like, Batman was my top guy. Now, he's still probably number two to Spider-Man because overall, I think Spider-Man, I just, you know, relate to more and and enjoy more overall. But Batman, Hush, Jim Lee, Jeff Loeb, Batman, like... Oh, here it comes. Man, that part right there gets me every time. (laughs) Sorry, you were saying, Dale? <laughs> We've actually been done talking for about <laughs> ten minutes. Oh, God. Here it comes again. Oh, God. Can't help it. All right. Do you want us to leave? I mean... Here it comes. Here it comes. I thought for a second you were going to play a piano behind you, too. Like when you lean back in your chair. This this chair will flip around. God help me. Here it comes again. (laughs) Turn it up, Dale. Turn it up. Here it comes. Gen Z embracing Hush in the rain, spinning and twirling. Imagine if this is the first episode a new listener is listening to. <laughs> Hopefully they have the same taste of music. <laughs> they, they damn well better, or I don't want to bless them. Uh, Batman Hush, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, one of the greats, one of the absolute greats that I've ever read. Hands down.
I think Desiree would agree with us. <laughs> Next week, we're going to have Desiree on the show live via satellite to talk about Batman Hush. I'll uh, tweet at her, you know, because out of all of us, I probably have the most Twitter. And clout. then she's gonna f- she's gonna fave it, and then you're gonna you're gonna fave her tweet, and then you're gonna screenshot it, and you're gonna group Texas, <laughs> as I am wont to do. We got your letters. I'm gonna open them up. Farrington's gonna read them to you. Letter segment sponsored by Desiree and the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. <laughs> uh, letters at paperkeg.com. Our real show sponsor is the comic book shop in Delaware. You email us and we might read it on the show, hands down. Uh, the first letter comes to us from show troll Jim Lynn for Pope on the Twitter. Uh, he says, I have been sitting on this recommendation because I know how everybody feels about the Dark Horse app garbage experience but after your successful Usagi book club I knew it was time Black Beetle No Way Out from Frank Avia a hardcover comes out in October so Dale can fill his shelf with that (laughs) yeah I read the first issue of Black Beetle and issue zero I think from the Dark Horse Presents Um, Frank Avila you know Jim Lind we spoke before you corrected me on how to pronounce his name and you're absolutely right he is Italian. It's not Francavilla, but I would I would do it. I mean, it's it would get low downloads, and these guys would wouldn't want to do it with me. But just mark me down as wanting wanting to do it when the hardcover comes out. Thanks for your letter, though. No thoughts on. Okay, I don't have it. No, I don't have any additional. They're thoughts. too busy. Jin, no, sorry, they're uh, they're too busy checking Twitter and stuff like that. Oh. <laughs> The only Dark Horse I read is Baltimore and when I reread Fear Agent. Which is often. The um, I don't mind the app so much. I will put it out there. I am very tolerant of it. I can say that it was unacceptable that I had to reinstall the entire app one time, twice. I've had to do it twice because the um, various things my collection wouldn't load that I own, etc. But I buy all my books online in the Dark Horse, digital.darkhorse.com, and then I just read it in the app. Mm-hmm. I'm very tolerant of it, though. It is, compared to the big gorilla in the room, Comixology, it is a lesser user experience. But to get my Dark Horse, I love, I love Dark Horse. Let it be known. Hey guys, uh, thanks again to you and the listeners for episode 110. Seems as though the penegging didn't wear on anyone too much. What's the must-read comic for you these days? I think we all talk about books we love when we have them in front of us, but don't have the urgency for the next issue or trade. So I was curious, for what title do you feel that urgency? Barcade 2014, just days away. (laughs) At Panooch on the Twitter. What about it, guys? The must-read title, the first one you need to read. If, Daredevil if is auto-buy. Just Mark Wade's run. I don't know if you guys have been... I think we didn't talk about the most recent two issues, but uh, ending that huge arc, and then the second one just hit ground running. I think uh, 
I don't know. I, I wish they would stay on forever. I think they should just hand the baton back to Bendis and Malieve for 30 issues, and then they hand it ben <laughs> back to Wade Insomni, and they just kind of, you know, write this title until I die. Captain America, hands down. Number one. I will stop what I'm doing to read that book first thing in the morning. I uh, am very frightened for the final issue of Dimension Z. Emotionally (laughs) frightened. (laughs) I am... I know this is going to make a lot of you poop, but I think after this arc, I may drop Captain America. Get the hell out of here. Budgetary reasons. Budgetary reasons. I'm just trying to sort some stuff out. And everything I buy, I love. So I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out where I can trim the fat. Um, so just calm down. <laughs> All right. I don't even want to do this shit I've... anymore. Let's cancel it. Let's just paper cake one eleven. Don't it's you a know that ride. Jonesy's all time favorite character is coming in the next arc? Nuke. <laughs> Give me oh a red. Character is a total turd. Get him out of here. What you? Do, you speak lies. I bet you, Remendo. He's going to make him a star. I know he is. I bet you he will. Yeah, oh, he will. Man. He'll use some black science on him. Hold me, please. I think for me it's probably superior. Wow. I think. Not yeah. not the team-up book. You know, you, you well, and Yost are like... <laughs> sometimes I wonder. Bosom buttons. I, I love superior Spider-Man team-up slash formerly avenging Spider-Man. Christopher Yost is pretty baller. I mean, I don't. I you got to clip that know, out. I will. <laughs> I'll tweet at him and tell him uh, with the sound clip in tow. <laughs> the yeah, he's he is right up there with Dan Slott as far as the the arcs on Avenging Spider-Man. I'm I do have thoughts about the team up book. I I hope. It's sort of still out of continuity, like it has been. I'm curious, but Superior, yeah, Superior Spider-Man, Dan Slott, and when you can get Humberto on that thing, I just think I'm I'm loving what I read, and I I, I need to read that up to the minute because it's bananas and I love it. And do you uh, read the most recent issue? Yes, I did. What about uh, Spider-Man and that exoskeleton? That was a little uh, out of left field, wasn't it? Spoilers. Yeah, when he went to clean up uh, Shadowland. Finally. Who knew that Shadowland was still a thing? I know. I didn't know what the heck the Kingpin was doing, but the last thing I thought of was him in Shadowland. I got to tell you right now, a huge tiny mistake on the Twitter was at the meetup on Saturday. Yeah. Big fan of Shadowland and was convincing me that it was wow. a good run. Like he was weaving some kind of the hand spell that not only summoned Ghost Rider, Shadowland reference, Listen, but was making the, me like the arc. The beginning of that arc was was badass. The Ghost Rider stuff, awesome. But I don't know what happened. The tie-ins were trash, poopy wow. trash on top of a garbage mountain. Oh, my Poopy trash. That's uh, a pull quote for you. I think I, I mean, Doc cover. Ock. Doc Ock is just the coolest as as Spider Man right now, and I'm not tired. I'm not n- anywhere near tired of it. I love I, I love his quirks. I love how he has spoilers. You weren't you know, feeling his, the beginning of Superior, as if I remember correctly. 
I wasn't feeling the end of 700. It was... Poopy on a trash bag, like Gen Z would say. Yeah, Poopy trash on a dump. garbage mountain, Slim. Yeah, Slim. Um, maybe I'll go back and read it, but I still think I'd probably stand by that. It's, It was uh, wonky and or forced at best, but number one, turned it around for me right away. Hmm. We get any other, other uh, letters? Was it just those two? Yeah. What a letters? show. What an amazing show. Fantastic show. I mean, hush. It's going to be hard to top. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely will be. If I can be honest with you. Um, you know, I haven't said it in a while, but the wind column has yeah. just been atomized <laughs> by the Jim Lee talent, like down to the molecule. More Adam, not the molecule. Molecules are <laughs> what's happening. I mean, look, I'm not a scientist, but it's Chemistry. gone. Uh, thanks for listening. If you you know you have a free hot minute while you're in the crapper, shoot us an iTunes review. You know they help folks discover the show. And, I really do. Um, we'll see everybody next week. I heard of a lightning rebuttal. Lightning question or a lightning rebuttal? Yeah, I had a lightning question, but, you know, as our minds work, I forget what the lightning round Strangers was. Strangers in Paradise, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Was this, was volume two like the first volume of the ongoing? Mm-hmm. Mm. There's a one of the issues is like half text. He changes really? course and and kind of does a novelized conversation. Like he 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 just like longhands it. There's like hmm. uh, all text and then there's a picture on one page. He does that a few times. It's really interesting. I love how his um I don't know. I love his books and I love how most of them are like uh you know, packaged up in, in like huge soft, soft bound, like Echo, isn't mm-hmm. that one huge volume? Strangers of Paradise is coming out with that big, omni buy. Oh but my god, that's probably budgetary reasons. <laughs> I can't even imagine what that book looks like, size wise. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be huge, and in like two phone books in some sort of slipcase. It's got to be. <laughs> And, uh, you know, another, I hate to say it, but I, I love them. And I had a massive, you know, thing about collecting the entire run mm-hmm. of Rachel Rising, but I had to drop it this week oh, because of no. budgetary no, reasons. No, no, I haven't read it in probably 10 issues what's, or so. What's staying just, on your pull list? Should we get into it? 
I still have like 13 titles on my pool list. What what, um, what were some other books that got cut? How about that? Was it a shorter list or a bigger list? Than yeah. Oh, yeah. It was just, it was Rachel Rising and one other one. Cap. Not yet. <laughs> I kept Cap. I kept Thor. Um, I think I kept Wolverine and the X-Men. I don't All know. All new X-Men. I can't get, and I can't I, get into Wolverine the X-Men. No? Mm-mm. I like it. It's kind of like popcorny and fun with the yeah. the Hellfire stuff. I am two. I think one or two behind, but I like how you know. Have you been trying to keep up on it, or no? You haven't mm-hmm. even. Like I got, I've been in and out of the Hellfire Club storyline. I don't know. Yeah. I think maybe maybe I'd like it if Bacalo was still doing the art for it, because he was yeah. the book. He was the artist that really made me enjoy it. For the six issues or so, he mm-hmm. he was on the it. Abbreviated story. Yeah, and didn't uh, the Hellfire Kid? Um, he, he looked like he's grown up a lot. The main Hellfire yeah. Kid. I I remember him being like two feet tall in the first storyline. Yeah, he seemed like he was like eight or nine yeah. in the first storyline when he killed the former members or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now he seems like a teenager, like thirteen or fourteen, maybe. Yeah. Weird. I think maybe that's art styles, or maybe Jason Aaron needed to. It's your boy Nick Bradshaw. Speed it up. Yeah, he's pretty reliable. I don't mind him. I like some of the teachers in Hellfire. I, I think Mystique's funny in it, and the uh, Sauron. Sauron, yeah, Sauron's pretty funny in it, and the one who's got like the skull floaty head, who's from another world or something. Todd, I forget. To- uh, yeah, Todd. Toad was like. Like, he was, like, ripped in the most recent issue I read. Like, there's... I, th- I don't know if it's Nick Bradshaw's interpretation of some of these characters, but Toad in the original, it, like, Bacalo run, he was just kind of, like, overweight or just, like, out of shape and had a hunch. Mm-hmm. And in the yeah, most recent issue, he's, like, built like a brick S-house. And he and he was, like, <laughs> rippling abs and biceps. And I was like, what is going on? Toad is yeah. not supposed to be this, you know... Good-looking man, which is with green skin. And, was, and he's walking upright, and he yeah. had, like, a bull haircut. He looked like just a normal guy, mm-hmm. but green. I, I like how, I mean, I feel bad for the guy, but he's constantly getting picked on and kicked around. Who, uh, Toad? Toad, yeah. Yeah. He just wants to love, he, you know? He needs love. There's a couple, um, like, um, miniseries I kept on my list because they'll be finishing, like, Wild Blue Yonder... Oh, yeah, I forgot about that book. Did the second issue come out? Yeah, yeah. second issue oh. came out last week. Need to subscribe and, to that uh, one. You better. Got to get on it. I don't know. You know, budgets, it's it's tough managing your comics. Yeah, tell me about it. Especially when uh, you can just click, 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 click. Oh, $75, where'd that go? Yeah, what? <laughs> Jonesy, what was your lightning round? <sighs> Batman Incorporated 13. Oh, yeah, you said oh, yeah. it went out with a whimper. Yeah, I didn't you think so? People are getting just uh, just unsurmountable amounts of praise of this book. And I th- listen, here's, here's how oh. I feel. Oh. Uh, I think the new 52 just threw a monkey wrench into Grant, what Grant Morrison had in mind for Batman from, you know, page one to the end. So we got the great 
Batman and Son. We got the resurrection of Ra's al Ghul. We got uh, that wonderful uh, Batman and Robin with Dick Grayson and Damien as the team. And all this great stuff. And then when they rebooted New 52, like, I don't know about everybody else, but I just, it just didn't jive for me anymore. Um, just too much happened in five years of the New 52. And uh, so I, I got off the, the Grant Morrison train for a while and I hadn't been reading it. So I wanted to kind of see the ending because everybody had been talking. There was so much buzz about it. And I just, I didn't think it was that great. I mean, maybe if I was some kind of Grant Morrison nut and this, uh, this like, you know, this Batman run was like super close to my heart, I would have been satisfied. But I just think, like, as I stated, the New 52 reboot just ruined whatever momentum that Grant Morrison had in those titles. Sorry, Grant Morrison, Batman lovers. Debbie Downer over here. I love Hush, though. Hush is great. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know it. I read, I read the Batman R.I.P. stuff, and the first six issues or so of Batman and Robin with uh, Dick as Batman, and then I just stopped. Like the and the Return of Bruce Wayne, I read, which was like <laughs> that was the big issue that Jonesy hopped in on, like issue <laughs> yeah. four, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and was complaining no about way. how he didn't understand it. Like aside from the Bruce Wayne stuff, like the uh, the Trinity. Or whatever in that soup in that library talking to the librarian. Or remember, remember those panels interspersed between time traveling Bruce Wayne. That no. was the most confusing junk. <laughs> like where he was like, I forget what the t- li- librarian guy was doing, but it was like plucking strings of time. I don't know. It was wild, and that's what I was just like. Give me hush. Give me <laughs> reprint crime hush. solving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give me crime solving detective kick a combat boot wearing Batman. Mm-hmm. Not, not this Grant Morrisony time flex mentalo. Oh jeez. Yeah, flex mentalo in a Batman mm. cape and cow. Definitely was a mind bending run. Let's say Batman and Son. The introduction of Damien is probably the best part of that run. Where he kind of remember when he goes after he killed Tim Drake and he cuts off that uh, minor villain's head to bring back <laughs> as a trophy to Batman. I mean, there was just mm-hmm. what a, I mean, that was the flex mentalo mentality that I liked in that book. But uh, did you watch was, Flashpoint, the animated movie yet? Uh, I actually bought it on iTunes. I haven't watched it yet. I was going to watch it tonight mm-hmm. after the show, mm-hmm. potentially. No um, time traveling treadmill. They don't show a treadmill at any point in the movie. Thank God. Oh, man. Spoilers. Not even like in a background, like with a towel on it in Barry's apartment or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) what they should. And then otherwise, poor Mark Farrington would be like curled up. The cosmic treadmill. You know, we didn't talk about is that Flash TV series news. That could have been news. Oh, yeah. What is the... uh, it's a spinoff of Arrow. Yeah, Jonesy, right? that Jonesy should be your territory. What's, what's the story here? Arrow has worked extremely hard not to be supernatural and super powery, and it's all about kind of like Batman Begins. Like, I would equate the but, whole first season to being Batman Begins, so why all of a sudden would they want to change the entire tone of the series and bring genuine superpowers into it? I just don't get it. But that's, I mean... <laughs> But that's because you, there was luck involved. Because it's Arrow, he doesn't have superpowers to begin with. 
do do you think i mean i'd be curious to say like well it's arrow so we got to keep it grounded or what if they randomly went with flash or or what if they're going to develop that aquaman series that they never did like you'd be back to square one it's not arrow's fault i don't want to i don't know i'm not mad at arrow i'm not going to stop watching arrow i just i think I don't know if they want to. I just would make it a spinoff. I guess is what I'm getting at. Just make it make its it? own entity. Why does it have to cross? Why over would you? Arrow? Wouldn't you want them in the same universe though? If you're making different universes, then you're still just having yeah. you know universes know. that don't chat with each other. I just think that then you're Fox and Sony and Marvel. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they're listen. Nobody at CW was calling me for my opinion. So, I mean, at the end of the day, who gives an S what some fat guy from Pennsylvania thinks about They're calling, they're the calling for your hair gel tips. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Yeah, you got to yeah. comb it. I discovered recently that if you comb your hair every day, it'll look uh, like a human being's your, hair. Calling to get um, your butcher's number to find out where to get pig blood in uh, bulk. <laughs> <laughs>